As we continue our series on living hope today, as we finish it, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, the idea of the greatness of the small uh, it picks up on a lot of different themes in Scripture. One of the things that it does is it focuses in on um, uh, perhaps Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, says, uh, you want to be first, you want to have first seat, first chair, m- greatest importance, then you need to be last. Um, not blessed are the strongest, but blessed are the meek. Um, you know, the, the idea that uh, in order uh, to uh, be great, uh, you need to be uh, diminish the ho- whole idea that you're the most important, that you're the center of the universe. We're going to be talking about that in a second. Uh, while you turn in First Peter chapter 5, just want to remind you as a church, we uh, memorize Scripture together, we pray together, and we read the Bible together. So uh, just, I know we're finishing up in our little reading journal, uh, finishing up First Peter, we finish that up. If you want to continue on next week, um, yeah, I encourage you to read Matthew uh, chapter 26, 27, and 28. Next Sunday, we begin a new series called Mission, and we're talking about Matthew chapter 28. So uh, this week, if you want to just uh, continue in your journaling, uh, Matthew 26, 27, and 28. And you can divide that up any way you want to over seven days or six days, however long you want to do that. But we read the Bible together. We also memorize Scripture together. At the end of the rows, there are these little cards that give you the memory verses that we're memorizing on a particular week. Uh, And if you look at that card today, you'll see that this week we're going to memorize Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Encourage you, if you haven't been on that journey with us, you haven't tried to memorize Scripture with us, encourage you to begin today. Uh, It will change your life as we plant God's Word in our heart. Uh, So uh, uh, join us on that journey. And then not only do we read God's Word together and pray uh, and uh, uh, memorize Scripture together, but we also pray together as a church. And and I want to encourage you at 1 o'clock, we as a church pray for one thing for one minute. And uh, this, uh, this week, I want us to pray for our children's camp and our student camp. Our student camp is the last week in July, uh, and our children's camp is the second week in August. Uh, And with those two camps, uh, well over 400 people will be involved in those camps, many who are far from God, uh, who need to find life in Christ, many who are searching how to be a faithful follower of Jesus. God is going to use these camps to change lives uh, and set the trajectory for lives Uh, not only for those young people and children going, but also uh, perhaps even for their families. So I want to encourage you this week, let's pray uh, for our student camp and our children's camps uh, that are coming up in a few weeks. If you want to pray two minutes rather than just one minute, I encourage you uh, to pray for our mission teams. Last week, we had mission teams in in, uh, Malawi and Spain. And uh, we rejoice in those. This week we have mission teams in Saltville, Virginia, Lima, Peru, and around Lima, and, uh, and uh, uh, France, uh, around Paris. So uh, we're excited about those teams serving uh, the glory of God. These are not travel trips just so we can get photo ops. Uh, these are actually people going and serving. They're doing vacation Bible school right now in Lima um, for churches that we partner with and help plant. Uh, 
and uh, we want to encourage you to pray for them. Saltville, Virginia, they're partnering with the uh, SBC of Virginia Church. Uh, the pastor there is one of the most evangelistic men I've ever encountered, and he pastors this church in Saltville, and uh, he is helping our uh, team, um, made mostly of senior adults. Our senior adults, they don't collect seashells in their, uh, in their uh, later years. They go on mission for God's glory. And uh, so they're, they're there doing vacation Bible school right now. Uh, so we're excited about what God does through our church. Malawi last week, uh, and again, I, I, I don't talk a lot about numbers because I don't want anyone to get any glory other than God. Um, uh, but I, I think it might, one of these days, or in this particular instance, I think it would be uh, perhaps even robbing God of glory if I don't mention it. Uh, not every mission trip is the same. We've been working for how many years in Southeast Asia with our unreached people group, Kurt? Five years? Five years we've been working with an unreached people group that we adopted as a church in Southeast Asia. Um, and uh, we've seen three three believers in five years. That is spectacular. The first three believers in that language group, that, that, uh, that people group. And we rejoice in that. Um, but we don't send teams there expecting uh, dozens or even hundreds of people. We believe that that can happen, but, but we go with the long haul in mind. Uh, our team in Spain did great work at and God changed lives and developed churches and helped encourage people. And I'm sure people were uh, rescued by God's love and saved. But in Malawi, um, uh, we have a medical clinic there that we partner with uh, that in many ways we support. It's, it's, uh, it's a great, uh, great partnership that we have. Um, we sent that team there, and they were there for a week. And in those uh, few days that they were there, uh, well over 500 people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can I just tell you, at 8 o'clock, there were less than half of what's in this room, and they shouted a lot more than y'all did. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a chance because I know you want to. You're just not sure, do I have permission to be celebrative right now? Um, so I, I know we did communion last week, and it was very somber, but this is a new day, all right? So uh, let me go ahead and say, uh, rephrase it. All right, so last week, we had a team in, in Malawi in Lilongwe, and uh, they served each day. And as they served, uh, we saw well over 500 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. All right, much better. All right, that's good. So we celebrate that, and, and uh, we celebrate that. Just celebrate who this church is. Uh, we have uh, over 20 church plants. Uh, we're meeting in two locations right now. Um, uh, we have, uh, I think at last count, eight worship gatherings in three different languages that take place here on Sunday. Um, it is an amazing thing what God does in the 757, in the seven cities of Hampton Roads through this church. But more than that, uh, we see God use this church to change lives around the world. And it's not just a jump in and jump out. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to talk and commission uh, Kurt and Ethel Breland. Kurt is our minister of missions. And uh, Kurt is going uh, to spend three months, Kurt and Ethel are going to spend three months in long-term mission uh, in Southeast Asia on mission from this church in partnership with IMB. He is going to be on staff, our missionary 
in Southeast Asia. Uh, and uh, it is going to be an exciting journey. Uh, we're going to send him off with grand fanfare, and we're going to send him off with some money too. So uh, we have a fund set up, uh, and you can call our church office and ask about the Kurt Breland Fund. The money doesn't go to him. It uh, doesn't even go to Ethel. Don't give cash to Kurt. Let me say it again. Don't give cash to Kurt. Uh, but as a church, we're going to support him in, on this mission effort, but we also uh, believe uh, that God is going to use this to strengthen church plants that we have in existence there, uh, strengthen believers, uh, and uh, help us in that church planting movement uh, in, in Southeast Asia. So we're excited about that, and I want to encourage you to continue to pray for Ethel and Kurt as they prepare for that. It's just good. And that was fresh and new for every, so not every service got that, but I thought it'd be important to share it with y'all because, you know, y'all have the money. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. 930 has the money. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't know. God has the money and he's going to use you. Yeah. The, the old adage, you know, good news, bad news, uh, good news, uh, is, uh, we have plenty of money in our church to pay all the bills and do all the ministry that God has us to do. The bad news is still in your pockets, right? Uh, just want you to know it's still in your pockets. Time to, time to dish it. Uh, but God's using this church to do great and amazing things. And when someone gets baptized and shouts hallelujah, I mean, praise God for that. I mean, and this is, I, 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 man, I don't even know if I'll get to my sermon, but uh, just to tell you the story, June... Uh, and uh, 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 Jim Wilder uh, have uh, this wonderful lady come in and help them during the week. Is this correct? I'm telling the right story. And uh, June and Jim, who have always lived on mission for Jesus. They have always been on mission for Jesus. Uh, June and Jim shared their faith constantly and persistently. And this sweet lady uh, recognized her need for Jesus and came to declare publicly her allegiance to Christ and got baptized today and shouted from the, shouted from the baptistry, hallelujah. hallelujah. Church, that is awesome. That makes my heart sing, right? And uh, so anyway, all that to say, 1 Peter chapter 5. <laughs> all right. Uh, I, I, I don't have time for a lot of tomfoolery, but let me go ahead and break out my plunger. Here's the thing. Uh, when we talk about hope, we're talking about the expectation, the confident expectation that God is going to continue to do the marvelous, wondrous things that he has done, demonstrated most fully when he gave us a resurrected life through Christ's resurrection from the dead. Uh, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And, and that living hope belongs to those who belong to Jesus. Now, if you belong to Jesus, you have a hope that nothing can kill. You have a hope uh, that never dies, all right? And that's the good news. But if we're going to walk the road of hope, if we're going to, as followers of Jesus, take hold of hope each day and live in that confident expectation rather than the dismal swamp of despair, we're going to live in the confident expectation that God is and continues to do wondrous and exciting, marvelous things for his glory through us and through our church, then we need to be a people of humility. Uh, that's what... 
Peter is getting at in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, I want you to look at verse 5 specifically. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, likewise, uh, Peter writes, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Submission. Ugh. We don't like that, but that's what he says. You submit yourselves to the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Get it. All of you be submissive to one another. So all of us are supposed to be submissive to all of us. Oh, wow. Do you realize that's the ethic of the church? It's, it, and submission is the activity of humility. So that's why he goes on. He says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the, what's the word? Humble. Peter's talking about the plunger principle. You say, what's the plunger principle? Well, you might not know the plunger principle. But here it is. The plunger principle is simply that the handle of the plunger will fit any and every person's hand in this room. What happens sometimes is when we see a clogged toilet, we're looking for someone to unclog it. We're looking for a maintenance person or a janitor, someone that that we can say, will you go unclog that toilet? But the plunger principle is we don't look for a person we look for a plunger. We're not looking for someone else to unclog the toilet. We're looking for the plunger so that we can unclog the toilet. I began to think about this when uh, I realized in my home, when the toilet is clogged, which is often, my family tries to plunge. But more often than not, they eventually will call daddy. And daddy comes in with the plunger. Where's the plunger? Where's the plunger? Which bathroom is the plunger in? And I'll get the plunger and I'll start plunging. And it used to kind of frustrate me a little bit. But now I take delight in it. You want to know why? Because at least I have some use in my home. (laughs) Plunger principle. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but but there's some truth there. Another, another incident happened. I was, I was uh, at the church, and, and one of the bathrooms was clogged, and, and I saw people searching, not for a plunger, but searching to find someone to go unclog the toilet. Can I tell you, as a person who is embraced by Jesus Christ, we need to have the principle of life that says, clogged toilet equals my work. I'm the one. Who needs to unclog the toilet? I thought about really giving to staff the Golden Plunger Award for the person who goes out of their way not to delegate but to serve. The plunger principle simply means that I'm the one who is supposed to to do even the most menial thing, what we would consider a menial task. I'm the one who is supposed to do that. And no one is above the plunger. 
So as we look at this passage, uh, the, the principle it comes alive in this idea of God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Now what that means is that God, um, uh, when we are prideful, we have created a barrier between us and God doesn't mean God stops loving us, doesn't mean that we're uh, not going to heaven when we die, doesn't mean that God isn't working toward us. He, he doesn't cease to be our father. He just says, you are a proud teenager and we've got some issues in our relationship. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know what he's saying? He's saying that, that if we want God's favor in our life, by the way, the flow of God's favor is what immerses us in hope each day. It's the presence and the activity of God. That's, that's what favor is. It's God stooping in an act of kindness to bless us. That's favor. And, and if we want to immerse our lives in the favor of God and experience a life that's soaking in hope, then we need to be humble. The pathway to hope is paved with humility. The road to hope is paved with my humility, not mock humility, my humility. So as we look at this passage, I want, us to, I want us to understand that this isn't a small thing. It's a huge thing in Scripture. Really, what Peter is doing, Peter is preaching a message on Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 um, the wisdom writer, the sage there, he, he writes and he says, he says, God scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. God scorns the scornful. And uh, really, in the, uh, 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 in the Greek translation of that Hebrew verse, it was God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We, so we find in Proverbs 3.34, Jesus said something like that. In, in Matthew chapter uh, 23, verse 12, he said, he said or 26.12 or 23.12, I think. Uh, 20, some of y'all who've heard this message before, 23.12, uh, says that, that, that he who is humbled will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled. Get that. All right, so if I'm exalting myself, which seems to be the American ethic, just make sure everybody knows how good you are. I mean, after all, what's Twitter for? Let everybody know what you're doing, how important you are, et cetera, et cetera. If, if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. This is the word of Jesus. But if you humble yourself, then you'll be exalted. So, so we see it in the words of Jesus. James talked about it. James chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. James said, um, God resists the proud. Quote, verse seven, uh, this is verse 6. But God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Over your sin, let your morning be turned, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And now, First Peter chapter 5, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Now, verse 6, um, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. 
I think, I think the plunger principle is pretty important if we have it in the Old Testament, the words of Jesus, uh, and two places in the epistles. It's an important principle. Um, the opposite of the plunger principle is the pride pitfall. It's, it's us being people of pride. I, I know that pride is a, something that people look up to. You see some of the folks that um, and, and I'm a soccer fan. I love, I love soccer or football, whatever you want to call it. I, I love it. And I, I watched all the U.S. national games, whether it was the Gold Cup with the men or the World Cup with the ladies. And I love that they won, and I love the victory that they won. The ladies and uh, the men kind of came up short, but that's okay. They almost got there. And, and so I celebrate that. I would have celebrated if they lost, but What I can't celebrate is someone who stands and boasts and says, I deserve this. I'm owed this. Guys, although that may sound really neat in today's culture, that is the opposite of the plunger principle. It's the opposite of who we're supposed to be as followers of Jesus. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit. And I, I want you to see that, that, that God wants us to walk in hope. He wants the uh, hope to saturate and soak this church. But in order to get there, first of all, we need some pastors uh, who have a humble heart and give hope to the church. See, it does really, not everything begins with me, obviously. Y'all do stuff without me all the time, but... But in the church, there is a model that God has established, and he puts a lot of weight on the pastor. And it's important for the pastor to exemplify not skill sets, not good communication, not uh, being able to do algebraic equations, not being the most compassionate person. All those are important things. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm saying the most important thing is that I... Follow the example of Jesus and have a heart that's humble. And the most important thing. Uh, just kind of uh, chapter 5, just kind of deal with verses 1 through 4. Elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So Peter's saying, hey, look, I'm an elder. I get what you're doing, but can I give you some advice? Not some advice, but a word of the Lord that you need to submit to. Okay, verse 2. So here's, he's talking to me. So he's also talking to the church so that you can evaluate me based upon what you read here. Yikes. Okay, but I'm going to read it anyway. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory so that that does not fade away. Just a couple of thoughts here. The hum, humble words in here. All right, so I am leading. I'm called to lead. Chief, uh, I'm, I'm the overseer, and I'm called to shepherd the flock. Uh, overseer means I'm supposed to give direction. That's leadership. I'm supposed to inspect. 
That, that's, I'm supposed to evaluate where we are as a family of faith and how well we're bringing glory to God. Uh, and I'm supposed to protect. I'm supposed to protect this flock from going down um, a bad road. You know, we like to talk about false teaching that we see on TV or hear or read about. You know, the biggest false teaching in the church is self-interest. It's not all this other hoorah out there. That's important to protect against. But the greatest the greatest heresy in the church is exaltation of self. And I'm supposed to be protect, and it's hard for me to do that if I'm all about myself. And so I'm supposed to shepherd the flock and, and, and be an overseer. But, but then he goes on, he says, all right, so you're supposed to be an overseer. You're supposed to give direction and inspection and protection. Um, but you're supposed to do it uh, willingly not by compulsion. And so I'm not doing it because it gives me a step up the ladder. I'm not doing it because my daddy told me so. I'm not doing it because you want me to do it. I'm doing it because this is the will of God for my life and I can't do anything else. And believe me, I would have. So I, I, I wake up in the morning. I don't, I, don't, I don't dread being your pastor. I delight in being your pastor, Okay. And the day I dread it more than I delight it, now there are some days that I've dreaded it, but the day that I dread it more than I delight it, uh, delight in it is the day I need to stop it. So I, I need to do it willingly. Um, and, and willingly also means I jump in the fray with you. It means that I don't, I, I don't hesitate to say hard things as well as sweet things and compassionate things as well as truth that feels like a pillow sack full of bricks rather than a pillow sack full of feathers. There are times I have to do both, but that's my task, and I need to do that willingly. I need to do what I do, not for dishonest gain, but, um, uh, but uh, eagerly. Now, dishonest gain, that can mean money, and so there are people, I guarantee you, there are people who are pastoring because of money. I don't know why. Um, Honestly, it wouldn't be worth the pay. I, ju I don't mean that ugly. I really don't. Am I right, Dr. Hemphill? I mean, the, the pay that you've got to, the, the pain isn't worth the pay, right? And, and so uh, there are times when, uh, I, so I get it. Some people do it for the money. I, I would never be that guy. Uh, but more than not, it, it's not just the dishonest gain of money. Sometimes it's the dishonest gain of I'm going to build my status or my uh, my platform or uh, my, my, my prestige on the backs of First Norfolk. I, I, I can tell you, and I, I think this is probably true, you go anywhere in the seven cities of Hampton Roads, they will know First Baptist Church Norfolk, but they probably won't know Eric Thomas. And that is a good thing. Now, that is a spectacular thing. I don't want people to know my name. I want them to know Christ's name. In fact, I don't really care that much if they know First Baptist Church Norfolk. What I do want them to know is that Jesus saves. So the question is, am I humbled? And by the way, that's a temptation for any pastor. Anytime you, you stand and you talk in front of a couple of thousand people each week, it, it, can, it can be heady stuff. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, especially when, because y'all are so kind and you never say uh, anything ugly about me. It's, 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 well, you do, right? 
It, it can be a heady thing. It can, it can be one of those things that, that, that feeds an ego. Can I tell you, the minute this starts feeding my ego and I'm walking down the hall like, like I'm all that and some peanut butter too, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking along like a, and crowing like a rooster on Sunday morning, uh, you need to join my wife and my children and get a plunger and stick it in my hand and remind me of the plunger principle. Because I am going to give an answer to Jesus Christ for how I've led here. And I've got to tell you, there's some regret in my life as pastor. But thank God in his grace and his favor, I have a wife who makes sure that I stay humble. That's really not a joke. I need it. I really do. For 28 years, okay, thank you. Thank you for the amen. That's my doctor up there, I guarantee you. And it, I need it in my life. I need someone to persistently put the plunger in my hand. That is an act of God's grace for my everyday life. And by the way, you need it too. See, it's not just the pastor that's supposed to be humble. It's the people that's supposed to be humble. Now, that's why he goes on and, and he talks about submitting it says in verse 5, he says, younger people submit to the older people, but really he, he wraps it up and he says, everybody needs to submit to everybody else. Submission is an activity of humility. Submission is where I give up stuff in order to bless you. That's submission. Just keep it real simple. It's where I give up what I want in order to bless you. That's submission. More importantly, we are supposed to submit to God. Now, what that means is I give up everything to bless him. I, I do whatever he wants. Whatever leadership he wants me to follow, I'm going to follow it. It is absolute obedience. So submission is hum, humility before God. And submission to one another is where ruled by God's will, I'm going to look and see how I can bless you. I love the picture here of being clothed in humility. And clothed in humility, that term clothed in humility probably points back to Jesus at the Last Supper where Jesus put an apron around his waist and, and he knelt before his disciples and his last act before he was uh, betrayed and went to the cross was to wash the feet of his disciples. He loved his own and he loved them to the end. He washed their feet. And now Peter says we need for each other to be clothed in the robe of service, to be clothed in the robe of humility, to don the apron so that we might bless the other. One of the great ways that God's given us to, to understand a little bit more about blessing is uh, God has gifted uh, Tina Bosch to the church. Uh, Tina is Tina Hemphill Bosch. She uh, spent some of her early years here. Um, I guess most of your years here. Uh, she is the daughter of Ken and Paula Hemphill, and we're so thankful that they are here today. But I've asked Tina to come. She's written a book called Given, and uh, it is a spectacular book that talks about uh, blessing, uh, being a blessing and blessing others. And uh, it is more than that, but that is 
kind of the, the, the tag to it. And I've asked her to come and just kind of share. Y'all welcome, Tina. Um, so, Tina, in your book, I haven't even looked at my notes. That's what happens when you preach the third sermon. Uh, in your book, uh, you, you talk about the, uh, the forgotten, the tagline, forgotten meaning and practice of blessing. And I know, having read this, that a lot of what you received or, or as you began to study and work and, and write this book uh, came from your experiences with other cultures. And uh, uh, 14 years in Istanbul and, and other places. Tell us a little bit how that uh, journey uh, influenced you to, to write this book and see the power of blessing. So our families lived in Istanbul about 14 years. Two of our three kids were born there. You don't say it the way I say it. I say Istanbul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You say it. Istanbul. You, Istanbul. Okay. Istanbul. All, right. All right. So the first thing we do when we move to another culture is learn language. And so I was working with a really wonderful language helper. And um, she had gotten to know my family a little bit because she had traveled one summer in the States. And so my sister had just had a new baby. And we were sitting down to have tea together. We were sort of getting ready to Skype on the computer. And she said, Tina, before we call your sister, tell me what can I say in English to bless her new baby? And I looked sort of confused. And I said, honestly, we just say congratulations. And if someone's disagreeing with you in Turkey, they'll say, it's like a click and a head lift. And she said, she said, no, 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 no. I mean, what would you say as a Christian to bless a new baby? And I realized, oh, this is a serious question. I racked my brain. I couldn't come up with anything. And I, I just said, honestly, we say congratulations. And she shook her head and she said, you say congratulations for everything. Mm. Congratulations is not a blessing. Because congratulations is a word that's of the moment. It says that I share your joy right now. But blessing gives us a vision of where we might be headed with God. Mm. It is a vision of future grace. Mm. And so I began to wonder if there were any resources in the Bible for blessing, like if there were prayers of blessing that I could integrate into my conversation with my friends there that would draw them into the goodness that God intended for them. And as I sort of encountered and began to learn about the blessings in Paul's letters, my research made me realize that Paul's practice of blessing really was based on a very Old Testament understanding of God's interaction with his people through blessing. And so I went back to Genesis and just started reading through scripture, looking to understand the theme of blessing in the Bible. And tell us a little bit more. I, I, one of the chapters, um, well, a couple of chapters, I really like the chapter where you talk about uh, the blessing um, even our enemies, that, that, that's challenging and confronting to us. Uh, but uh, when you talk about Mary, and you've talked about Mary at each, each of the hours, tell us a little bit more about Mary and, and, and her being uh, blessed among women sure. and how that relates to where we find ourselves, especially in American culture today. Sure, that's right, because we love this idea of being blessed, right? It's hashtag blessed. And when we use it, it tends to be a sort of way of communicating, my life is good, my life is easy. You know, maybe it's com communicating, you know, I've been materially blessed. We tend to think of blessing as possession, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's related to comfort, prosperity, health, wealth. 
which is more of a hedonism. It's more of a sense of hedonism than it is of Christianity. But if we look at Mary and we think about Elizabeth greeting her and saying, blessed are you among women, and then we think about Mary's life. I mean, right after she has her son, a king is seeking to end his life, and so she flees as a refugee. Later, as she's growing up, right, she, as she's raising her son, she's got no sort of vacation space on the Mediterranean. <laughs> she's, she is poor, living in the shadow of an oppressive empire that sees her right. people, the Jews, as a revenue stream. And her she's as a oppressed. woman, oppressed. That's right. Yeah. She has no voting rights. She has nothing like that. Yeah. She's, does, she's not educated. She doesn't fit the profile of the sort of person we think of as blessed today. And then just think about the moment when the son she loves, she's approaching him, he's teaching, he's launching into his public ministry. And he says, what? She's trying to have access to him. She wants to see her boy. And he says, who is my mother and brothers? And she realizes in that moment that she's going to have to release him to the Lord's will for him. Why? Because he's the blessing for the whole world, for all the families of the earth. And she is there at the foot of the cross when he is stripped and beaten and bruised. This woman, blessed among women, has to watch the loss and the crucifixion of her son. Now, we don't think of a person who experiences that kind of pain and loss as blessed. So how and why is Mary blessed? Because... She's a woman of faith who finds life in her son. She is blessed, and Elizabeth tells us that, because she believed the word of the Lord, received it, even though, and Simeon tells her, a sword will pierce your own soul. Mm -hmm. There's going to be pain in the blessing, but she receives it in faith because she understands her son is the source of salvation and blessing for the whole world. Mm -hmm. Isn't that great, church? Look, you need to pick up this book and read it. Thank you, Tina, for every hour. You did a spectacular job. And she did that in spite of me. And so uh, thank you so much. I'll take that. Thank you. Thank you for having me in the church that I was baptized in. Isn't that great? That's awesome. Thank you. As, uh, as As we consider... The power of of the blessing that God has given us in Christ. And that's really what it comes down to, that we have been blessed and we walk in the blessing that Jesus has given us. We walk in the hope uh, that God provides because we walk in fellowship with God through faith in Christ. Um, But we need to get over ourselves a little bit. See, I think part of our challenge, and I think what, what the plunger principle and what Peter is, is touching on to us as a church is, and individually as followers of Christ, I'm not the center of the universe. I was never designed to be. And so I need to embrace humility. Humble yourselves, in the mighty, uh, 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 humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So that he might exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Just some three, three steps that might help you experience the full measure of God's favor, his blessing in your life. So that might help you uh, walk the path of hope by paving your life with humility. Um, just three things that we come out of this passage with. The first 
is you want to have hope in your life, you want to have humility in your life, then you've got to commit to submit. That's a commitment. It's not easy. There's nothing easy about submission. None of us are made uh, to just, yay, I get to submit. Yeah. We live in a world and a culture and with our own flesh nature where submission is a painful thing until we experience God's favor in that submission. Mary submitted to the will of God and walked a painful path, and yet she was blessed among women because she believed the word of the Lord and she walked with Jesus and knew him not only as son but as Savior. Um, we got to commit to submit. Submit to one another. Again, not an easy thing. Submit to God. We can all do that. God's always ahead of me. But when we're all picking up plungers, we realize that none of us are more important or better than the other. That submission to each other is not only good, but it's a pathway for God's favor to flow. Commit to submit. The second thing we need to do is we need to cast our cares upon God. You know, one ingredient of pride is the refusal in my life that when I don't know where I am, I refuse to ask directions. That's not machismo, it may be, but it's just plain pride. I don't ask for directions because I don't want anybody to think I'm stupid. But really, I'm just stupid because I don't ask for directions. <laughs> I'm going to get emails from some men about that. I know. Do <laughs> you know what pride is? Pride is where I say I don't really need God that much. I can do life my own, and I'll be just fine without him. I, I can decide that God uh, can be my personal valet when I need him, or valet if you watch Downton Abbey. Uh, he can be my personal valet if, if, when I need him and, and, and provide for me, but I don't really need to... Uh, go to him with everything. I've got skills. I've got numb-chucking skills and stuff like that. I can do a lot of things. I, I can handle life. I can make a spreadsheet. But the problem is God doesn't want half of us. He wants all of us, even our cares and concerns. That's why cast all your cares upon him. That, that's, not, uh, that, that's not imposing to God. That's his will. That's what his desire is. You've got struggles and stresses, troubles and sorrows. Cast them upon the Lord. Independence of his mighty hand to move and to act and to provide. Cast your cares upon God. And then finally, see clearly the pitfalls of pride in your life. Now, the scripture tells us places uh, where pride uh, can have inroads in our life, places usually of selfishness or self-interest. Uh, those are certainly places of pride, but all of us are made uniquely, and not everything that is a pitfall of pride in my life is a pitfall of pride in one of my children's lives or my wife's life or, or your life. I, I have a unique set of pitfalls that lead me into pride. Um, and so I need the Spirit of God to speak through the Word of God to my heart and help me understand Oh, where am I susceptible to pride? I need to know that so that I can 
as Jesus did, fill my life with the Word of God to equip me and protect me against the roaring lion who is seeking to devour me. That's that, that's, that be, be alert and be vigilant, be sober, be vigilant, verse, eight, verse uh, 7 or 8, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, for the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What are we sober and vigilant, vigilant about? We're, we need to have a clear set of eyes to understand where we're susceptible to pride. Um, another great help is evaluating the holiness of God. The more I spend time seeing how holy God is, the less susceptible to pride I'm going to be. Because when I see myself through the lens of his holiness, rather than the make-believe lens of my own goodness, then I'm going to be humble. Uh, A third aspect of seeing clearly is ask someone who knows you. There's not anybody in the world that knows me better than Edie Thomas. She knows me inside and out, and she knows where I'm susceptible to pride, and she will tell me. She'll put the plunger right in my hand. And for that, I am eternally grateful because she's protecting me. It's God's grace in my life. If we're going to live in the hope that God has given us, then we need to walk in humility. To walk in humility today, commit to submit, cast your cares upon the Lord, and see clearly the pitfalls for pride in your life. As we close today, I just want to close with a word of prayer and invite you to to just take a moment and consider how that God would use his word to shape your life and how that you can walk in humility and be a blessing to others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, and I pray that you would walk with us in the days ahead. We give you thanks and we give you praise, and I pray that you would be glorified uh, by your people living on mission for you from now uh, through the rest of this week. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.